Welcome to the 29th episode of A Politic. We are engaged in a progressive discussion of politics for people who hate politics in five to 10 minutes. We try to keep it short and to the point. We encourage people and empower them. We're attempting to promote a transformation of our society to the benefit of everyone in this society. And we're using a nonpartisan approach. We're not Republican or Democrat. The goal of the podcast is to encourage voter registration and voter participation in a process of reducing the conflict and division in our society. What we're hoping to do is encourage you to get informed about the issues. And so we're going to look at various progressive principles as we look at the issues, policies, and programs. Some of these will be proposed or some of these are going to be passed by the Congress and signed into law by the President. Some issues are being considered at the local and state levels. We want to look at those issues and policies and want to examine all these things with real stories and real people. And of course, we always want to relate everything back to the progressive principles. So we're going to join Steve for our discussion today of principle number one as it relates to the November 3rd election. And principle number one again is increases civil liberties and personal freedom balanced by civic and personal responsibility. November 3rd was a record-setting election date and it was very significant in terms of the dynamic for the future. We will begin examining this change and look forward to explaining how the election fits into a historic perspective and how it may lead to more progress in the future. So thank you for joining us. Welcome to A Politic, and this is episode 29. And I'm joined again with Steve. How are you doing, Steve? I uh, can't complain, uh, Bill. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. We're going to talk about the election and uh, we're meeting a week after the election. Today is the 11th of November and we had an election um, one week ago and I thought it would be interesting for our audience to realize how things went because they may not have paid attention to what happened. So tell us, Steve, what happened? Well, uh, it appears as if um, the American people, the voting public, turned out in numbers um, quite unseen for maybe the last uh, 60 years. Um, it appears as if um, the total number of votes cast um, by all voters was 
about 160 million, and that is a phenomenal uh, expression of the American people's belief in the idea of self-governance, and um, it, it is a testament to the American people that um, the the glue that holds our society together is still holding um, the the foundation of uh, this society together. The only point that I think needs to be stressed is 160 million people voted, but 240 million Americans were eligible to vote. That's right. So, so what is that percentage? Uh, which means that only 66% of all Americans who are eligible to vote actually exercise the franchise. Yes. And so um, uh, this tends to still be the challenge. Uh, obviously, uh, there'll be all kinds of analysis as to the demographics of the population that didn't vote. Uh, there are some people who uh, believe uh, it doesn't make a difference. There, It's only one vote. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons, uh, maybe an inability to get to a, a voting booth, but um, uh, we need to continue to keep our eyes uh, on the prize, as they say, and continue to develop and nurture more and more citizens to get out and uh, exercise uh, the democratic process. Yes, and actually 66% was about 5% higher than 2016. So people did feel the urgency. A greater number of people turned out. I think I heard that Trump got about 3 million more voters than in 2016. But Biden got an additional 2 million on top of the 3 million that Hillary Clinton was able to amass so that he won by 5 million votes rather than just by 3 million votes and he won the popular vote. But as of today, one week later, we still don't have a number of states uh, clarified. So we're still waiting for that final number. I think there's one other point that needs to be mentioned uh, in this little uh, discussion, and that is because of the nature of the pandemic that the country is in the midst of, many states provided their citizens with the means by which they could vote via mail. And that was a historic number as well. And I think that to the degree to which people will participate in greater numbers if the mechanics that allow voters to exercise their their franchise uh, is, is made available, I think more people will participate. Now, I don't know whether or not four years from now, hopefully there won't be any pandemic, but will the mechanics of voting via mail continue to be nurtured and giving uh, the citizens of the United States as simple and as straightforward a mechanism by which to exercise their rights to vote. I think that's a great point, and we do need to have a national debate on how to make voting easier, how to make registration 
easier and we know that there is a school thought in the United States that says that we should make it harder for people to vote rather well, than Well, I always easier. wondered about that, uh, Bill. What is the underlying premise of those who believe that making it more difficult to vote is, is an asset to our society? Well, I think from what I've heard, usually it's Republicans that want to make it harder for people to vote. And I think that's because they're selling themselves short. They believe that because there are so many more people who are in the lower ends of, of our economic system, that they'll just naturally vote with the Democratic Party, and that's really not true. And I'd just like to highlight that this particular issue is underlining our principle number one in a politic, principles of progressivism. And what we believe is that increased, that progressivism is going to increase civil liberties and personal freedom, and that we must balance that increase of civil liberties and personal freedom by civic and personal responsibility. So I think that those who want to make it harder to vote and want to make less people eligible are really on the wrong side of history, and they're selling the American people short. They're selling themselves short. What do you think? Well, I, um, I kind of uh, agree with that, uh, that perspective. Um, I've always believed in the idea that uh, the more participation, the greater the, um, the resonance of our, um, our unique way of life. And inclusivity rather than exclusivity is really the principle we should nurture going forward. I agree 100% with that. So it was funny as I was doing research for this particular um, for this particular program, I ran across a couple of interesting statistics, and one of those was the percentage by which George Washington won his reelection bid in 1792. He was first elected in 1788 and his re-election bid was a surprisingly low number for him to be re-elected. Did you catch that, Steve? When you... uh, I, I did. I, I'm not quite sure. I think there might have been seven or eight candidates yeah. um, in in that particular election year. So, uh, you know, and again, in that era, unless you were a white male that owned property, nobody else had access to the ballot. And so if you were white and a male and let's say you were a trapper or uh, you couldn't vote. Yeah. And so you, you had to own land, you had to be a male, and uh, you had to be uh, Caucasian. And uh, so uh, 
um, you know, we blink our eyes uh, 250 years almost, and uh, we've definitely uh, moved on quite a bit. Yes. So what was that election margin? I, right off the top of my head, Bill, I can't recall. I think, I think he won by 6 or 8% of the vote. Yes, that's right. Only 6% of the vote. 6% of eligible voters voted for George Washington. And that it's not 6% more than other people. It was 6%. So there were yeah. so many people running in 1792 that 6% was a plurality. And he was elected, he was re-elected president with only 6% of the vote. That's one of the strange I think, facts. I think it, it, one of the things that I think always stands out in, in our history is the fact that when he finished his second term, I mean, he was, he was really revered. I mean, uh, they didn't refer to him, quote unquote, as the father of the nation for nothing. But when he finished his, um, his second term, there were people who said, you know, George, you ought to just continue to be president. And he said, look, we fought a revolution so that we wouldn't have a monarchy. And I am not going to set the standard at the get-go of this nation and just be a perpetual president or a, an American monarch. And, um, and I think that uh, had he changed his mind, uh, maybe the country would have been a lot different today. But um, one of the things that also came out that I heard the other day is that when uh, his successor was inaugurated, um, they wanted him to walk out of the, the ceremony first. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I want the new president and vice president to leave the ceremony first. And I think that those little symbolic gestures spoke volumes uh, down through the uh, centuries. Yes. Thank you for joining us for episode 29 of A Politic. Next, we will move on from the election of November 3rd to what happened on the very next day, November 4th. You have to really pay attention to keep up with what's going on. So we're going to explain how the 13th principle of progressivism was impacted by the events of November 4th. Climate change and the U.S. withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord. We look forward to you joining us for the next group of podcasts. The election of November 20th is just passed, and so we'll have more to say about it, but we're going to be welcoming you to join us for episode 30. So have a great rest of your day.